Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you guys. Um, during this season of Lent, we are going to be starting a sermon series on the Christian disciplines. And so over the next five Sundays, we are going to be talking about a few of those disciplines together, like life together, prayer, solitude, giving, and reading scripture. Now, theologians historically have called these disciplines the means of grace. And that means that they're not the end goal of the Christian life, but they are a means by which we put our hearts and our minds in the places where God transforms us by his spirit. And this is no different than the way the rest of life works. If you're thirsty, you walk over to the sink and get some water. If you're cold, you pull your chair closer to the heater. It's not magic. It's not rock and science. It's very much common sense. And spiritual growth works in much the same way. So this morning, if you want to grow up in your faith and mature in your faith, if you want help to change, if you want to know God more intimately and figure out what he wants you to do with your life, then walk over to the places where he hangs out. And when we do, what we find is that God transforms us so we begin to look more and more like our elder brother Jesus. Now today we're going to begin by looking at the Christian discipline of life together. And the reason that we're beginning here is because this discipline is the context in which we are called to practice all the other disciplines. The church is the family in which God grows us up. It is the place where God's love is to be made manifest to the world. It's where we learn to practice the love that we are to take with us into every other context of our lives. So with that in mind, uh, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 13. It's also printed in your order of worship. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, and do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejo rejoice in hope, 
Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. This is God's word given to us for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we acknowledge this morning that you created us. You are our creator and that you created us in your image. And you told us in the very beginning that it is not good for us to be alone. And you called us out of our aloneness to be in community, to be with you in community and to be with one another. And so, Father, um, all that to say is that you have created us to do life together. And a portion of what that looks like is what we're doing right now together, worshiping you, hearing from you. But I pray this morning especially that you would open up our hearts, that you would speak to us, that you would call us out of the places in which we uh, love to hide, that we're ashamed of, and it would bring us into this community of faith. And may we experience your love, and may we experience your love through each other's loving. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I was uh, introduced to the church, or what we call the church family, and eventually to Jesus for the first time when I was in high school. My friend's invitation to youth group uh, is what got me through the front door, but what kept me coming back week after week was the food. My friend's family uh, invited me to join them for dinner every Monday night before youth group. And I have to say, I don't remember uh, a lot about the conversations we had. I know we had them. I know they were good. But I definitely remember the macaroni and cheese, the homemade ranch dressing that cannot be replicated, the barbecue chicken. And I remember how comfortable I felt in their home at their family meal. I remember feeling filled up, not just by the delicious food, but in their care for me, in the way that they loved me. Now, for some reason, I felt that they were glad that I was there, and they made a place at their table for me. And I felt like I could take on the world as we headed out the, headed out the door to youth group to compete in these crazy gladiator games, which would be totally illegal today. <laughs> Now, that experience has felt like a little taste of heaven for me. And the reason why is because it is. And that's the really good news that Paul writes about in his letter to the church in Rome. <clears throat> He's painting an astounding picture of the family that we as a church have been called to become for one another. Before we jump in to our passage, I think it's helpful to remember why Paul wrote this uh, letter to the little this little church in Rome. Paul's letter isn't random advice. He is addressing specific, specific concerns and divisions that existed in this first century church. You know, on the one hand, they had all the normal problems in the first century church, which brought together all of these social classes that didn't live together in normal, ordinary um, Roman culture. Nobility didn't eat with commoners. Rich people didn't talk religion with their servants. But here in the church, under one roof, they are suddenly family. They are brothers and sisters. 
But more specifically, for the Roman church, there was a cultural clash between the Jews and the non-Jews. The emperor Claudius uh, had expelled the Jews from Rome, including many of the Jews who were following Jesus, sometime between 41 AD and 49 AD. And when the Jews were allowed to return five years later, what they found was that the Roman church that they had been a part of had been dominated by Jewish or non-Jewish culture and practices. And Paul's letter indicates that this cultural clash was a great source of tension for the church. Now, first century tension between Jews and Gentiles isn't the burning question on our minds this morning, I recognize. But we can find our place in this letter and that many of us share with those early believers' experience of disappointment, of disillusionment, of defensiveness when it comes to thinking about the church as our family. And at the same time, every one of us here this morning, whether we're in faith or outside of faith, have a yearning to belong, to be known, to experience radical love and acceptance. And Paul seems to be saying that this is uniquely possible here in this community that is united by faith in Christ. So how do we get there? How do we become the community that God has called us to be when we come from so many diverse backgrounds, so many diverse places? How do we find belonging? Well, these are the questions that the discipline of life together addresses. So let's look at what Paul tells the church at Rome, how life together happens. In verses 1 to 2, Paul says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, Paul here is using temple language, but with a twist. In the temple, when you brought your sacrifice to the altar, it was killed and that was that. But Paul says that because of God's mercies, which he outlines in the first 11 chapters, followers of Jesus are to be living sacrifices, continual, perpetual, everyday offerings to God. To be a living sacrifice is to embody the reality that we belong to him in body, mind, and soul, and not to ourselves. And as we daily offer to God what belongs to him, what rightfully belongs to him, our minds begin to be transformed so that we begin to agree with God about what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, specifically, Paul wants us to see that our minds need to be transformed as it relates to our place in God's family and the place that his family is meant to have in our lives. The transforming of our minds is to recognize that we have been adopted into a new kind of family, that we have been, we are made to be active contributors to that family because that is the way that love works. People, we have been made for this. From the very beginning, from the ground up, to belong, to love, and to serve one another 
and to receive from one another in return. And when we undergo this transformation, this is the picture that Paul gives us of what life in our community looks like. He says in verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Life in this community, in this new community, begins with thinking of ourselves rightly. Paul uses the the phrase um, sober judgment. Where we aren't defensively measuring ourselves by others' yardsticks, where we are truly free from the compulsion to curate our image, either online or in person, Paul is telling us that God's family is one in which we accept ourselves and our gifts and our talents at face value with gratitude and value others for what they bring to the table. Can you imagine living in a community with this kind of freedom even for a day? And yet this is what the church is meant to be. This is what covenant is meant to be, a family in which each has a place at the table, a role to play, where we are welcomed gladly for who we are and the gifts that we have. Now, Paul goes on to use the metaphor of a living human body to drive home his point in verses 4 and 5. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Paul is saying that each part, each member of the body contributes to the functioning of the whole. For instance, without eyes, our legs do not know where to walk. Without teeth, we're not able to chew food that nourishes the rest of the body. I mean, when I was younger, I was running in a friend's home, and I ran around this corner, and I caught my little toe and left it in the other room. And in that moment, I recognized how this little insignificant little toe, how much meaning it had for walking and for balance, for everyday life. So not only is each member required for the body to work, but the entire body is required for each individual member to work. Both are true. And as as critical as a a limb or an organ is to the life of the body, and we would say they're very important, if it is disconnected from the body, it ceases to function as a limb or an organ. The other place in which Paul uses this metaphor is in his first letter to the Corinthian church. There he writes this, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. On the contrary, God has so composed the body that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. You see, Paul is saying that God has given us gifts for the good of others because we belong to each other. 
And so service as an act of love is not just this peripheral uh, part of our lives or something we do in our spare time. It is central to our story as human beings who worship God. And by coming together and caring for one another as one living body, we are acting out the true story of the world about God's oneness and yet the plurality of God's persons. And so Paul says in verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. The implication is that because we are as unique as our fingerprint with different gifts and temperaments and stories, it means that there are people here in this community, in our neighborhood, and at work that only you are uniquely able to care for and bless. It means that your presence here matters and what you bring to the table matters. And if you don't show up, there are others here who will be impoverished from the lack of your gifts. So Paul says, let us use them. If we have teaching gifts, let us teach. If you have the gift of service, then serve. If you have the gift of generosity or hospitality, open up your homes, your lives, your schedules, your wallets. If you have the giftedness to lead, Paul says, then lead. That is your ministry. And it will have amazing ripple effects on this community, on your family, on your work, and in our city. Now in verses 9 to 13, I love this, Paul launches into this full-blooded description of what living out sincere love looks like in this family. Now up until this point, every reference to the word love has been in reference to God's love toward us in Christ. But here is a transition. Paul now uses this word love to describe how we, are, how we ought to love and live together in a family. According to Paul, genuine Christian love is concrete and it is tangible. It's not just something that's felt as an emotion, rather it's better defined by an action, by our action of living in behalf of another's ultimate good and flourishing. Imagine, imagine being in a community in which we, we are competing not to, to be noticed or recognized, but in showing honor to one another. I mean, the way that Paul puts it is, outdo one another in showing honor. Imagine what that would do to this community, to your workplace, your family, where the most humble and the most vulnerable members are especially cherished where you and everyone around you is never afraid of being abandoned when people really get to know you. This is the life of love that God intends for his church to live out. And this is what it means to be the light of the world because the whole world needs to be loved like this. All right, so practically, how do we begin to practice the discipline of life together here and now? 
Well, based on the list Paul gives us in verses 9 to 13, here are a few tried and true suggestions that I found to be helpful in my 14 years of living in this church family. First, consider joining a small group. But in more, more than that, don't, don't stop there. Make it a central commitment to show up every single week to get to know the stories of the people in your group, to be able to hold those stories with them, to be able to ask them questions about what they share, and to pay close attention about what they do not share. Because sometimes we become so comfortable with each other that it takes work to go to the more meaningful places in our lives and in their lives. Pick a place to serve and make yourself a fixture there. Now, rightly, we make a big deal about quality time. I love quality time. But quantity of time also is a huge part of building community, of building and doing life together. And those, for those of you who are um, interested in taking a risk, maybe there's someone in this community who you've met, who exudes Christ's grace, and you'd like to become more like them. I want to ask that you would prayerfully consider asking them to spend time with you. Ask them to join you for coffee, coffee and offer to pay for it, or invite their family over to yours for a meal. And on that note, consider, consider inviting someone you don't know well over for a meal. Food and drink nourish community building. And it doesn't have to be fancy. You don't have to get out the nice dishes because this is family. And I know for many of you, you are using your gifts every week, every day, and you're working really hard at building community and giving a ton of yourself to this family. And for you, I'd like to say thank you but also that this is an invitation for you to remember that there is a whole body to share the load. And they need you to let them minister to you as well. You need to receive as well as give. And finally, if you don't yet feel like this place is home, I want to encourage you to hang out here a little longer, even if it's uncomfortable. This church family would love the privilege of being home for you. And our hope and prayer is that you would come to be able to extend that offer of home to others. I don't pretend that these things are easy or come naturally, but that's why life together is a Christian discipline. Now, very simply, life together is learning to love one another in this community. This is, this is Jesus' beautiful call to envision for his followers. And it's also, I readily admit, utterly impossible apart from the grace and the mercy and the power of God transforming each of our minds, renewing them, and transforming our hearts. Now, if you have been around Covenant for any length of time, you know that we have a rich diversity here, politically, economically, spiritually, and so on. 
In many places in our world, these are some of the affiliations that tie people together. But church, what ties us together forever? It isn't our politics, right? It isn't our economic status. It is the grace of Christ forever. And that means practically that we can love one another, that we can learn from one another, and that we can value each other's gifts and work through any differences and conflict that we encounter, knowing that we have a firm foundation for love. As Jesus says in John 17, it is our oneness, the love amidst diversity that proclaims to the world that the true king has come. He has come to bring you and me into his family so that we can become the full human beings that we were meant to be. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.